0: Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. I'm beginning a series, uh, like a four-part series probably, talking about bones in the Bible. This has always been a very interesting subject to me. uh, How much the Bible has got to say about bones It's got a lot to say, talks a lot about bones. When God created woman, Adam said, she is now bone of my bone. Joseph demanded that his bones be carried into the promised land. David brought with them the bones of Saul and Jonathan. They just always hauling somebody's bones around back then. They they got into that, you know. Uh, In 2 Kings, Josiah, he smashed the sacred stones and covered the site with human bones. In Ezekiel, this whole valley of dry bones just springs up and comes to life. Uh, At one one point, there's this dead guy. He's thrown into Elisha's tomb. And when he comes in contact with just the bones of of, uh, Elisha, he springs to life. And uh, there's just story after story in the Bible pertaining to bones. Bones were even used as weapons on occasion and and this is kind of where our, our message begins today. The title of this message is God Uses Boneheads. Man, I'm so thankful for that, <laughs> that God can even use a bonehead. I'm going to get to what that means here in a minute. So my text is from the Judges, the 15th chapter, verses 9 through 20. This is a little story about Samson. Remember him? <clears throat> It picks up in verse 9. It says, The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? And that's interesting. We're going to talk about that. We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered, We'll only tie you up and hand you over to them we will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding the fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. He was a little poetic at times, apparently. (laughs) When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. So the first question I guess I would ask this morning is, how many times have you found yourself in a position where you just felt a little inadequate for a job that had been given to you? Maybe you didn't think you had the right tools or the necessary supplies. When people feel like that, how do they most often react? Usually, they don't do anything, right? They, they, they don't get involved. Sometimes you see that in churches. It's very common for church folks to find themselves in a situation where they're given a task to maybe reach out to someone to minister, uh, become involved in some way, yet they feel either inadequate about their ability or they perhaps feel they're just not adequately supplied with the right tools to get the job done so they don't do anything. You know, a lot of times, thought, the thought process in, in churches is, is, you know, boy, if we, if we just had the finances for this, or if we just had the finances to do that, uh, or, or if we had, yeah, if we had the stuff that giant church down the street has, if we had all that, well, yeah, we could get, we could really do something. You see that a lot. But here's the news flash The giant church down the street didn't always have all that stuff they have now. They apparently learned how to effectively use what was available to them. And things just began to grow. You know, if Pastor and Mrs. Brothers had waited until all the finances and all the supplies and everything they needed to launch Calvary Temple was there, CT Church, we wouldn't exist today. But they used the best that was available, God did the rest. Is it, uh, By the way, I'll just throw this in. You know, we have so many new folks here at at CT Church over the last uh, couple of years. I wonder, does everyone realize that the pastor who founded this church almost 40 years ago is in attendance almost every week, sitting right over there? Wave your hand, Pastor Brothers. Did you know that? Maybe some of you uh, didn't know. But herein lies the real secret to being effective for God. Pay attention here. The sermon is just starting, and I'm giving you the secret to being effective for God. As a matter of fact, it's really how to be effective in every aspect of your life. And here's the secret. To look around and see what's available and just use the best that there is. See what's available and just use the best that's available to you and go with it. That's the secret to being successful in life and in the kingdom of God. That's what Samson did. And God gave him victory after victory after victory, right up to the point where he started making some stupid choices. But he finally got turned around. But my proposition that I want to make this morning is this. The Bible teaches us that God has made available all that we need right now to accomplish the work that he's calling us to do. He's made it available to us. We just need to look around, see what's best, and go with it. The enemy is always going to try to convince us that we don't have what it takes to complete the task that the, God, that the Lord gives us. He always tries to do that. And before we go any further, we need to establish exactly who is the enemy. Who is our enemy? You find it in Ephesians 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy is Satan and his demons. That's who our enemy is. And this morning, I want to talk about three areas that we have to be keenly aware of if we're going to defeat the enemy. We all have enemies, and we all need to experience victory over that. Amen? If you don't realize that you have an enemy in this life, you're going to be devoured. You first have to recognize, yeah, there's someone out there that just wants to see me destroyed. And it's not your neighbor. It's not the person you work with that annoys you to death. It's not, you know who it is? It is Satan and his demons. They are out to destroy you. So they are the enemy, and so there's three things we have to be aware of. The first one is this, getting too comfortable with the enemy. We're going to talk about that, being too comfortable with the enemy. Second, we're going to talk about confronting the enemy. And third, we're going to talk about fighting, just flat out fighting the enemy. Now let's go to the first one, being too comfortable with the enemy. Here's what happens when you get Comfortable with the enemy. First of all, being comfortable with the enemy will always bring despair into your life. It is a bad idea to get comfortable with the enemy. You know, a couple of illustrations I, I thought of as I was putting this thing together. I thought of these two examples that happened at the San. One happened at the San Antonio Zoo. One happened at the Houston Zoo years ago. Brent and Stacy were just little kids, and we hadn't lived here long. We went to the San Antonio Zoo. They had this one particular elephant that they would put this big old saddle kind of thing on, and oh, about half a dozen people could hop on, and we rode this elephant. Anybody ever remember doing that? Got a few that remember the elephant that you could hop on and ride at the San Antonio Zoo. And so that was a lot of fun. Well, several years went by, and one day I opened up the paper, and I found out that the guy who had been taking care of this elephant for years fed him every day, groomed him, hosed him off, whatever you have to do with elephants. One day he's down there working, kind of not paying any attention to the elephant, and the elephant just grabbed him by the trunk, picked him up, and (laughs) slammed him down on the ground, and it killed him. Now, a similar incident kind of happened at the Houston Zoo. Not all that many years ago, a guy who took care of the lions there had been doing this for 12 years. He's in the lion cage, and he's feeding and doing whatever he does, but he turns his back on the lions. That's never a good idea. And sure enough, he was attacked and killed. If you rub elbows with the enemy long enough and you get too comfortable, bad things are going to happen. You can tell by the question that the men of Judah, the armies of Israel, you can tell just by the question that they asked the Philistines when they first saw them that they had gotten way too comfortable with the enemy. Because the first thing out of their mouth when they see the army of the Philistines coming, they say, why have you come to fight us? That's a really dumb question. Because they're arch enemies. That's why they've come to fight. See, that's a problem. The Philistines had been their archenemy for years. This was nothing new. The armies of Israel, they'd been like superheroes because God had given them miraculous victory after victory. But everyone knows that any good superhero always has an archenemy. Right? You'd have never caught Superman asking Lex Luthor, Hey man, what you doing? Because he knew what he was doing. He's trying to kill him. And that's all he he ever did. That's all he was going to do, right? That's the relationship between superhero and archenemy. But they couldn't figure out why the enemy was coming to fight them because they had been doing their best to coexist with the enemy. They hadn't been trying to defeat their enemy, so they figured their enemy won't try to defeat them. That brings us to life rule number one, if you're taking notes. And that is this. You cannot coexist with your enemy because when you least expect it, the enemy will attack and defeat you. That's why they're the enemy. Right? This was not going to be a good day for the men of Judah. Samson had burned the fields of the Philistines. Uh, he, He himself somehow caught 300 foxes tied their tails together with a torch, a lit torch in between them and sent them off running through the fields and it burned everything to a crisp. And now here come the Philistines and I mean they are hacked off, aren't they? You might say they were burned up because Samson had outfoxed them. (laughs) I made that up. It's Pretty good. I was thinking you might enjoy it a little bit more. See, the Philistines, they had already been dominating Israel. So when they showed up, these men of Judah, they knew this is not going to be a good day. They knew something was wrong. I came across this thing. It's called, you know, it's going to be a bad day when Here were a few of them. You know, it's going to be a bad day when you see a 60 minutes news team walk into your office. You know, it's going to be a bad day when you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. You know it's going to be a bad day when the bird singing outside your window turns out to be a buzzard. You know it's going to be a bad day when your boss says, eh, don't bother taking your coat off. And here's my favorite. You know it's going to be a bad day when you wake up to find that your waterbed has apparently sprung a big leak, but then you remember you don't have a waterbed. <laughs> I like that one. Sorry about that. So the sight of 1,000 Philistines, just literally, it's driving despair into the hearts of Israel. And the Philistines ask for Samson because they want to kill him. So out of despair, the men of Judah are willing to just sacrifice Samson, just turn him over. Why? Because They've been driven to despair. Here's life rule number two. Despair soon leads to domination. Let me read verses 11 through 13 again. It says, Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? See, they've already given in. They're rulers over us. What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, well, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. And I find that very interesting. One observation I have here is that fear and domination must affect your eyesight and your judgment. Because here we have 3,000 men of Judah who are ready to give in right off the bat to 1,000 Philistines out of fear. They are so dominated by fear that they apparently can't see that they've got the enemy outnumbered three to one and they've got Samson, their secret weapon. And they're still completely all knotted up in fear, aren't they? That situation also still speaks to the church today in that it is very sad when God's people would rather attack one another instead of focusing on the real enemy. And I've seen it, especially since I have been serving as a presbyter over the San Antonio section for about six or seven years now, I've, I've seen this time and time again, that this particular thing, people deciding they've got a problem with other people instead of a problem with the enemy, it causes more division in the body of Christ than I think any other single thing. People choose to attack each other instead of the source of the problem, which is always the enemy. That's why I'm so thankful as a pastor. I'm thankful for C.T. Church. I mean, I've seen a lot of junk in churches since I've become presbyter, and I just thank God for the unity that we have at Calvary Temple. Praise the Lord. Keep up the good work. But there's times I'm sure still you get you get frustrated, maybe even angry with someone, and you have to stop immediately and you realize, oh, no, wait a minute, this brother or sister in Christ is not my enemy. We're on the same, we're on the same side, fighting the the enemy together. We have to keep that in mind. It's very, but it's easy to, to lose track of that. And so we have to constantly focus focus. So I have to deal a lot of times, I've had to go to some churches and deal with just all kinds of ridiculous junk because people have decided to get angry with other people and it just becomes a big mess. It's gotten to the point, there's been times where I would have rather taken a baseball bat than a Bible just to knock some sense into some people. Apparently the district office frowns on this method so I haven't really been able to take advantage of that. But here they come after Samson. And Samson says, asks only one thing of his own people. He says, well, okay, I'm going to go with you. Don't you guys try and kill me. Does anybody find that interesting? Don't you guys try to kill me. Here's what I think was going on there. I don't think Samson was for one minute concerned for his life. What he knew was, if my own people turn on me, I'm going to have to fight them off. And I don't want to kill my own people. So that's why he was making them promise, don't try to kill me. Not because he was worried about himself, because he was worried about them. He obviously had a lot more care for them than they had for him, right? And the difference between Samson and his own army of Israel is that Samson was completely dominated by faith at this point. The men of Judah were completely dominated by fear, and the difference was like night and day. You know, you've got one man who's not afraid of a thousand Philistines over here, and over here you've got 3,000 Israelites who are scared to death of a thousand Philistines. So they tie Samson all up with these two new ropes. But they, what they didn't realize, the reality was they were the ones that were all bound up. They didn't have any faith. They preferred to coexist with the enemy and live in fear and despair rather than conquer the enemy and be free. They were trying to live with the enemy instead of overcoming the enemy. Man, Does any of this ring a bell as far as the state of our own nation? I mean, for the last 50 years or so, we have been bent on coexisting with the enemy rather than trying to defeat the enemy. And so we'll accept a little of this and a little of that because we want to keep the beast. And now the enemy has gotten the upper hand in many cases. Life rule, the next one brings us to uh, the life rule for defeating our enemy. It's this, always confront the enemy. Don't be afraid to confront the enemy. Until we confront the enemy, there'll be no defeating the enemy, right? As soon as Samson was seen by these Philistines all bound up in rope and being uh, brought by 3,000 of his own men, they begin to laugh and jeer and shout out at Samson. Satan always has a great time when he can get us to turn on each other and focus on being angry with with each other instead of being angry at himself. Oh, he loves that. It's one of his favorite things to do. But I will tell you, this also makes God very angry. And when God gets angry, man, things happen. Big things happen when you hack off God. Just read through it through the Bible. You do things that anger God, big things happen. Immediately in the wake of the enemies mocking and jeering at Samson, boy, God's spirit just is stirred up in him, and he busts those ropes apart like, you know, they're made of string or something. And so energized by God's strength, Samson is ready to do battle, right? 3,000 men of Judah, they stand back doing nothing because they have absolutely no faith. So what happens next is the real crux of this message this morning. Notice carefully what Samson does here. He chooses the best of what was available to do the work of God. He doesn't say, "Ah, you know, I'm not prepared for this, so I'm just going to do nothing. This area that he was in was called Lehi. Well, in Hebrew, that means jawbone. So it's, it's very likely that this rocky area was probably covered with the skulls of animals, boneheads. You see where we're at here? Skulls of animals. In other words, that's a bonehead, right? But note that Samson, he doesn't just pick up any old jawbone to use as a weapon. He gets a little picky and he picks up a good, nice, fresh, the freshest jawbone that he can find. Because an old jawbone would be dry and brittle, and after you bust a couple of noggins, it's probably going to fall apart too, right? Those Philistines had some big hard heads, man. So Samson is wise enough to pick up this nice fresh one. Still had its bulk and its strength. It was a, a noggin buster deluxe. And man, he commences busting some noggins. He chose what was best and just trusted God to do everything else. Now, the thing is, there is no doubt Samson, had he had the power to just poof something into existence, I'm sure he would have preferred a better weapon, but there just wasn't anything available, right? But he didn't just stand there and do nothing. He could have done what a lot of people did. He could have just, you know, wiggled out of it, saying, I'm just, you know, I, I can't do this. I'm not prepared. I'm not Uh, I don't have provision to do it. He could have assessed the situation. He could have thought, you know, what I really need here is probably like a Kevlar bodysuit and an AR-15 assault rifle. But they won't exist for another 4,000 years, so I guess I'll just wait. No, instead of moaning and complaining, he just found the best resource available, and that was good enough for him. That's what God provided. It must be good enough to finish the job. That was the faith that he had. See, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do when God asks us to serve him in in different ways? Do we do nothing because we just don't feel properly equipped or qualified? Or do we look around and just find whatever the best available resource is, and man, we just, out of obedience, we just hit it and get it? It's a good question to ask. I will say this. Absolutely nothing ever gets done for God by people who are willing to just wait around until they feel they have the very best of everything they need to get the job done. Nothing ever gets done. See what is available and just choose the best of that. I guarantee you, God promises that it's going to be good enough for you to be successful. Amen? So Samson... He didn't have a lot of time to stand around and think about what he had or what he didn't have. He only had time to look around and just grab for the best that he saw available. And that happened to be this fresh-looking jawbone. That was the best he had. That's what we need to do in our ministries that God has given to each of us. You know, just use the best that is available to you and you will be successful. It's what makes... uh, Faith so dynamic in this Christian journey is is just relying on him. It's also what looks so foolish to unbelievers when you just rely on him. But God guarantees us victory, right? So we've talked about a little about despair and domination, but let's get to the good part, which is deliverance from the enemy. As 3,000... Scared, faithless Israelites looked on. Samson single-handedly killed a thousand of these Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Can you imagine? All of the Israelites, all they knew how to do was fuss and complain about their problems. Samson, Samson shows them how to experience freedom. Samson decided to do something about the irritant other than just sit around and be irritated. I'm going to say that again because it applies to all of us sometimes. He decided to do something about the irritant other than just be irritated. Don't you think that's a good life lesson for all of us? Here's a little story I like. There was once an oyster, whose story I tell, who found that sand had gotten under his shell. Just one little grain, but it gave him much pain, for oysters have feelings, even though they're quite plain. Now, did he berate this working of fate which had led him to such a deplorable state? No. As he lay on the shelf, he said to himself, If I cannot remove it, I'll try to improve it. So the years rolled by, as the years always do. He came to his ultimate destiny, stew. But this small grain of sand which had bothered him so had become a great pearl all richly aglow. Now this tale has a moral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do if we'd only begin with all of the things that get under our skin? That's a good little story right there. It does not require superior equipment to defeat our enemy. All it requires is faith and wisdom to use the best that God supplies us. That's all it takes for complete victory. God will even use a bonehead if that's all that's available. Um, Thank you, Lord. And it's for this reason that there is no church, no matter how big or how small, that, that should just settle for kind of existing, staying in the status quo. Because every work of God is capable of moving forward because it never lacks what is actually needed. God always provides. You know, uh, here at CT, we've experienced some steady growth over the past couple years. That's why we went to two services, even though many people who went for 4th of July weekend apparently have not returned. Somebody somewhere. But as we get bigger, we, like everybody else, we have to get better. If you get bigger, you need to get better. We can always use more ushers, greeters, children's workers, nursery workers, prayer team members. I mean, small group leaders. It's just to get bigger and better. You, to get bigger, you have to get better at what you're doing. That means we need everyone to get involved in ministry. Amen? Pastor Todd's the only one I heard say amen because he's in charge of finding small group leaders. I knew I'd get an amen out of him. We need everybody to get involved in ministry. You have to understand and have faith that you have been equipped and God will continue to equip you to be successful in his kingdom. If you feel him nudging you into uh, whatever ministry, don't push back. Man, I mean, march forward with confidence because he will give you victory in your life. You will experience some exciting things that you're going to miss out on if you always push back and say, no, I'm not quite ready." You're going to miss out. God is saying to all of us that we can accomplish great things in His kingdom. Aren't you glad for that? However, great things rarely come easy. How many of you old enough you've got that figured out? Great things regular I mean, don't normally just come easy. Maybe someone's going to die and leave you a gazillion dollars, but that doesn't happen to most people. So most great things in life are not going to come easy. Most great things require a challenge. And that's the last word I want to talk about this morning. Challenge. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi. Water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called Hekor, and it is still there in Levi, Lehi. Does he, the question is, does equipping and faith mean it's always going to be easy? No, it's rarely going to be easy, Right? Samson, I'm sure, would tell you that acting in faith can be extremely exhausting almost to the point of death. Right? The battle had left him weak almost to the point of death. I mean, he could have, boy, could he have used the help of some of those 3,000 dudes that were just standing back there waiting to see what was going to happen, right? No, it was just all by himself. That's a lot of, you know, let's face it. If you only have to kill 10 or 20 Philistines you know, by yourself, that's one thing, right? But when you've got to kill all 1,000 of those big hard-headed knuckleheads and all you got is the jawbone of a donkey, I'm telling you, that can take it out of a person. That can do it, right? But even though Samson was completely exhausted, he still had faith God would meet his need that brings us to life rule number 4 anytime someone suffers for the cause of Christ great reward will follow a lot of times in life on this christian journey things that appear to be a great loss can very quickly become great gain as soon as god gets involved what appears to be great loss often becomes great gain i'm just curious let me see your hand if you've kind of experienced one of those situations in your life Man, there's a lot of hands. It does require some faith. It's not always easy. Samson cried out to God for deliverance. God opened that rock and out of it came life-sustaining water. It's still true today. Christ is the rock, right? And from him come springs of living water that keep us refreshed and revived. It's even interesting, I think, that the writer of Judges here, he states that this fountain that God opened up it was still flowing at the time of his writing, which was many years later. And that brings us to rule life rule number five, which is this. God's provision is always greater than our need. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Where you had a need, God provided, and the truth is the provision was even greater than the actual need. You know, when we act in faith and we serve God in faith, we not only benefit from our actions, but people around us benefit, even people who are yet to come. I mean, it was very obvious that a lot of people years later, they were still getting water from this well that was opened up because of Samson's obedience. Every confrontation of the enemy is actually an opportunity for us to allow faith in action in our life. To take the best of whatever it is available and just trust God to give us the strength and the wisdom to use whatever it is to to accomplish the job that he's given us. He has called us. We don't have to live in fear. He's called us and he will equip us. He'll provide for us. The life of faith is not always accomplished with the best equipment. In fact, I'd say it's rarely accomplished with the best equipment, but it always carries the best results. When, something, when we do something in faith and out of obedience to God, great things happen. So I'll say this to conclude this morning. The thing is this, if Satan, if he can't get a Christian to just completely crash and burn He will be glad to settle for just kind of containing us. Just to keep us from, you know, having our faith grow and us trying to move forward. He loves to see us just stand back and say, Nah, I'm I'm good right where I'm at. I don't need to go any further. Boy, He loves that. He can just leave you alone and move on to someone who has a little more determination. Work on them. He doesn't have to worry about you. You've already kind of given up. If he can't get us to crash and burn, he loves if if he can just get us to be contained, be happy with where we're at, not trying to move forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ, not trying to be concerned about making a difference in the world or even in the community or in our church. We just kind of worry about ourselves and try to keep our nose clean, and then that's how we exist. There's no victory in that. There is no victory in just offering protection for yourself. Jesus had complete victory because he offered victory to all of us. He's never worried about just himself because there's no victory in that. As Christians, we're all about serving others just like Jesus did. If we don't serve others, we're going to have zero victory in our life. There's make sure you're not a Christian who is just willing to coexist in peace with the enemy. Just because you feel powerless to fight back or you don't think you have the right uh, provision. But just know that what God provides you, that's enough to be victorious. Take what is available. Take the best of what's available. And with His power, it's going to be enough for you to win whatever battle you're facing. That is the absolute truth. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.